The first question this evening, could you say something about Advaita Vedanta teachings, which appear to be the same in essence to what you teach in a Buddhist frame of reference? Well, they point to the same place. Like Buddha Dhamma or Advaita Vedanta as a, as a in Hinduism, so it's uh, it's it's all based on mindfulness. So you know, and they use the ter- terminologies are slightly different, but the direction is the same thing. Like they talk about non-dualism and and uh, this way of, you know, because the thinking process is dualistic. And so we, you know, when your teaching is non-dualistic, how do you, you know, this this is what the Buddha wondered, how do you teach non-dualism? I mean, dualism is all about words. You've got heaven, you've got hell, male, female, good, bad, right, wrong. And so, you you know, when we're very much caught up in the dualistic uh, conditioning, so this dualistic conditioning is, I'm this physical body, I'm the separate from you, you're the objects of what I see, that's dualistic, isn't it? I'm the, I see you as an object, looking at you with my eyes, you're the object, consciousness, you know, in consciousness, the contact with the object is eye consciousness, seeing is, and it's all based on this sense of separation, namarupa, divisiveness of the thinking process. So that's where when you, when you're trying to realize Nibbana or ultimate reality, or in the divine, they talk about the Atman, which generally translates it as uh, the self, and but not a separate self, but a kind of oneness, or it's consciousness. So these different names, we get confused because we we get we believe in in the words that we use, and if somebody uses different language, different words, we get confused. Just like my reflections on God and Dhamma. And these different ways of talking about ultimate reality, whether it's uh, anthropomorphized, personified, whether it's, you know, it's, it's the aim of all religion, really. Every religion is to be one with ultimate reality, or in Christian terms, one with God, or, or in advice to be free from the separate self. 
in uh, dham you know, I really appreciate the skillful means that that are available because we have, you know, these some, something like the Four Noble Truths. We have the Four Noble Truths. We have Satipatthana, Four Foundations of Mindfulness. We've got, you know, direct pointing teaching, ways of reflecting that I found incredibly skillful. You know, from the cultural background I'm from, you know, this dualistic way of thinking and interpreting life is is the culturally conditioned, you know, it's, it's, it's ingrained in you from birth, you know, when your mother and father start talking to you, it's always with these assumptions of a material world is our reality. Materialism is the real world. And then in Christianity, you've got God created the universe, the world in six days, so, you know, that doesn't really compute, you know, literally with science. But this idea of God creating, creator God, is, you know, still making God into somebody that does something, creates things as a person, you know, as some kind of anthropomorphic entity. This is all dualistic thinking. And we can't help it, because that's what thinking does. When we, in Paticca Samupada, you start with a vicha bhajaya sankara. So, you know, this basic ignorance of Dhamma, of ultimate reality, or of the Four Noble Truths, is a vicha, ignorance of reality, affects, you know, all the sankaras. So, you know, avicca bhajya sankara sankara bhajya vinyana. So the sankaras that we attach to, you know, then they're they're in consciousness, and and they and then consciousness divides into nama rupa, name and form, which even gets more complicated into the six senses salayatana, eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, mind. Is it getting more complicated from Nama Rupa, which is two categories, then Salayatana is six, plus a Vedana. So then, the, you know, the six senses operate in each with their sense uh, object, which creates feeling, because sensual senses are sense sensitive. That's why they're called senses. So this sensitive realm, we see it all in such terms of complicated, convoluted thinking patterns. You know, we, we, you know, we try to analyze it, figure it out, and whether it's on the macrocosmic universal, uh, you know, through thinking outwardly towards the macrocosm, vast expanses and universal systems that we can't even visualize or imagine, or microcosm, you know, it gets minute and microscopic. So these are sizes, isn't it? Macrocosm is 
is the opposite of microcosm. These are dualistic concepts that we tend to grasp as ultimate reality. So when we do that, then that's the cause of suffering. So you have, you know, as the senses contact their objects, that's pasa or contact, vedana involved, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral feeling, which, which creates desire. And so like in Paticca Samupada, dependent origination, you kind of get this sense of how just this basic illusion of a separate self is a vita. I'm alone in this universe, me, this physical being sitting here, and the rest of the universe is an object to me, the, the sun, moon, stars, you know, everything becomes separate, because that's what's uh, the complicated sensual realm is like. It's, it's incredibly complicated, convoluted, and, you know, and it's, it's still an illusion, but we believe in the illusion as reality. So like the non-dualistic approaches like Buddhism or Advaita, they're challenging that. They're, you know, the whole emphasis in, I don't know enough about Advaita, but to to speak with any authority, but in, in Buddha Dhamma, you know, you've got you know, this, this uh, vipassana investigation of experience here in the present moment. So just the Sapeh Sankarani Cha, all conditions are impermanent to me, is, is you know, is, is a something to really, if you're going to think about it, think about that. Think about, you know, sankaras includes everything, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking, heaven, hell, sun, moon, stars, microcosm, macrocosm, everything is impermanent. Sape Sankara, all conditions. Sape means that all, every condition, all conditions are impermanent. Well, that's a very useful, it's not a, it's not a dogma. It's not, this is Buddhist doctrine or dogma. The Buddha wasn't intending any of his teachings to be on a doctrinal level of belief. But in Vipassana meditation, we investigate impermanence. We can see it for ourselves, just how impermanence, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking, feeling, pleasant, painful, neutral, beautiful, ugly, change, everything that we experience through the body, through the senses, just that from this this position of being in in a separate form, we we can in you know from this position that we are experiencing reality here and now. Sapesankaranicha is really a great gift the Buddha gave us. 
because it it makes it easy for us. There's no excuses, no kind of exceptions. Are there some conditions that are permanent, or are there you know we can we can start getting you know speculative or philosophical about it. If we didn't have this kind of very strong statement, the base and nature, all conditions are impermanent. So then we start investigating that. So just by watching, you know, in Yoni Somanasikara, get to the very root of it, you know, get to the, the to the origin of suffering. So this is, uh, you know, then we, you know, we, we're exploring dualistic conditioning, our thoughts, our emotions, love and hate, like and dislike, relaxed, stressed, you know, everything that we experience through the body, through the senses, through the states of mind has their opposite, whether it's pleasant, it's going to have its opposite and unpleasant. If it's painful, it has its opposite as painless or pleasant sensation. And so the, to, you know, the average unenlightened human being, we, we believe in this material reality as ultimate reality. What we see here, taste, touch, feel, think, experiences, all seen in terms of me and mine. Because that's how it seems, you know, the body does seem to be me. And my memories are certainly, you know, they keep telling, you know, the memories are very strong sense of me and mine. We all have different memories. So we're all very different. We have different forms, different appearances, everything. You know, so this, this, this dualistic attitude can, uh, this is very, this dualism is a very strong sense that's developed in modern life through modern science. So, you know, this is a, of all ages, this is one of the most materialistic ages that we're experiencing. Material is is our reality. So it's interesting that at this time, these non-dualistic teachings from India suddenly become sources of interest in America or Europe, Australia. Why is that? You know why? You know because you know. Asian religions, like Hinduism as Advaita or Buddha, Buddha Dhamma, is non-dual, non-materialistic. So it's, it has this sense of, that's why when we talk about consciousness, and awareness, when I keep using this word awareness, you know, what do we, 
you know that is that a is that sape sankara is that a sankara you know and at first you know following the logic of everything is a sankara everything is impermanent all sankaras are impermanent then you know from my western conditioned mind i thought mindfulness is certainly impermanent you're not always mindful you heedless a lot you know you get lost in your thoughts you 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 know you trip on the steps i remember in what Pong, they kind of uh, in the when in the rainy season you know i'd take these long routes on arms collecting bindabata and you you could take an umbrella so you know and i'm determined to but you can't take your umbrella when you're on arms route in the village so you leave your umbrella outside the village so i remember you know one kind of amusing incident where it was when i left the, the monastery it was raining so i had an umbrella when i got to the village the rain had stopped I put the umbrella by a, a gate post outside the village and I was being very mindful, you know, very concentrated, doing all the Vinaya practices of keeping your eyes down, on not looking at the people offering the food and being mindful of each step. And I was so concentrated, I got through the whole village, Bindabad, got back to the monastery, it was about three kilometers. I remembered I forgot the umbrella. <laughs> and so then I had to walk all the way back. And, and so, you know, this is mindfulness. And then another time I was staying, this is when I was a layman, I was staying at Wat Boniwait in Bangkok. And one of the Western monks there was he was very always kind of preaching at me so he was always saying you've got to be mindful and he's using mindfulness mindfulness and every time he thought i was not being mindful he'd say mindfulness mindfulness <laughs> and so then he took me to to a building that had to climb the stairs and he tripped on the stairs and I thought myself mindfulness. <laughs> I kind of appreciated, felt happiness, kind of Schadenfreude kind of feeling. So, you know, the word mindfulness, what does it really mean in English? You know, is that you're mindful of, you know, when you're driving your car, when you're crossing the street? And then he kept thinking, you're mindful when you're, you know, in, in certain times, when, especially like driving situations where there's danger of some kind. But so much of the time, one's lost in, in just dream states, fantasies, worries, anxieties. Are we mindful then? Well, we're always mindful because it's consciousness. So even if we're not mindful of, of the, you know, a particular 
because our lives are in danger or there's threats to us, we're aware, you know, we're aware of what we're reading a book or thinking or fantasizing. There's awareness with us all the time. And, and so in right mindfulness, in sati and sampatanya, it's, it's intuitive, you know, you're, you're not seeing mindfulness as, as mindfulness of objects. Because then we make judgments, dualistic judgments. We think this is good, this is bad, this thought is a good thought, and that, that thought is a bad thought, you know. So we are always caught in this dualistic thinking process, making value judgments according to our conditioning. So when we talk about mindfulness or jit hen jit, awareness, aware of being aware, then it's where mindfulness aware of mindfulness. It's not going out towards objects as, you know, and, and just operating from uh, uh, the thinking mind, the dualistic thinking patterns that we've developed. So then you have this sense of what is if all conditions are impermanent, sape sankara then you have sape tamanata, all dhamma is not self. And so in this sense, in anatta, there's no, no personal self. You're not the physical body, you're not the you know, these are conditions, these are sankaras changing according to their nature. But that which doesn't change is awareness aware of itself. So in, in insight practices, you know, you're, you're, it's a kind of dramatic shift from dualistic thinking patterns and materialism to Dhamma, to seeing things, to relating to Dhamma is, is our true nature. It's deathless, it's perfect. So, you know, in, in terms of Sape Sankarani Cha, that's all imperfect, isn't it? It's these conditions there. They, you know, you get born, grow up, get old, and die. Thoughts change. You can't have just happy, happy thoughts that stay, you know, permanently in your mind. They change according to conditions. But that which is aware, that which is deathless, which is non-dual, is consciousness. As terms of experience, you know, you don't have to believe me, or you, you know, but this is a, this is a way of reflecting, changing from the materialistic, dualistic conditioning that we all have to the way of dhamma, of ultimate reality, of reality itself. So when the real world is a material one, you know, the real material world is, you know, we got, 
you know, all kinds of problems about the material world with planetary, you know, with overpopulation, climate change, on and on like that, meteors coming from outer space, crashing into the earth, or you know, who knows how long this planet's going to be livable. And so our whole relationship is, the real world is, is planetary life. So we start thinking about moving off to Mars or, you know, that would be interesting place to live. Have you seen photographs of Mars? <laughs> and, you know, when you look at the planet, Earth, when these astronauts, you know, went to the moon, they took these photos of the Earth. Earth is quite a beautiful planet, even from a distance. Where Mars is called the red planet, it just, everything is, they don't even know if there's water on it. So I was thinking about moving to live on Mars when we ruin this planet, then we go on Mars and ruin that one. Is this, is this the purpose of our life? Does this make sense? Is this of any real value to, to always think in terms of, of trying to survive, you know, just as a physical body, as a person, separate person in a vast universe, you know, it's, it's frightening. Is that all there is to our life? And ask yourself, you know, like in the non-dualism, is, you know, using words, not as doctrinal positions, not as belief systems, they're all for investigation. So like advice of that, like Ramana Maharishi, uh, sages like that were very much, you know, using self-inquiry practices, which is what we're doing here. Yonisomanathikari inquiring into the nature of things, into what am I really? Not just operating from the assumption I am my name, my body, my personality, but this teaching of Sapai Sankarani Cha, all conditions are impermanent, then you, you start questioning, even your name is impermanent, and your body certainly is, you know, this doesn't take close examination to figure this out. But what is, what is aware of impermanence? You know, can aware, can impermanent condition be aware of another impermanent condition? This is the, this is the ultimate question. Can your personality be aware of your body? Can your personality condition sense of self, you know, is it be aware of itself? Can one condition be aware of itself as a condition? Conditions aren't aware. They're empty, you know, in terms of Dhamma, they're empty phenomena. They are, you know, what they are, they have different qualities and quantities and so forth, but they're, it's the pace on granny, they're empty, 
They have no soul, no heart, no core to them. When you look at them, they, you know, they're like soap bubbles in the scriptures, in the sutta, that's called soap bubbles or foam on the sea, you know, like waves, currents in the ocean. They're, you know, they exist, but they're, they're impermanent. Another question is, could you please talk about the Eightfold Path? The Eightfold Path, the Fourth Noble Truth, and the, you know, the Fourth Noble Truth, it's eight folds, it's not eight steps. So, you know, we tend to think in, you know, in one you start with samaditi, samatangapo, and each step, step by step, but they're like, it's the here and now, the Eightfold Path is not really a path. A path has, has distance to it. But it's, that's the best they, word they can come up with to, to bring this into consciousness of, Samaditi, right understanding, perfect understanding. When you're realized Dhamma, have the insight into Dhamma, into Amatta Dhamma, deathless reality, which is awareness, which is consciousness, awareness, aware of awareness, then that Samaditi, you know, that insight, it's a very strong kind of gut recognition of the path, you know, Samadhiji is the first step on the path, so, or the first fold, that affects everything else. You know, Samasangapo, which is right attitude, so you'd, from right understanding comes right intention, which you know, which is then right speech, right action, right livelihood. So, in terms of you know, it's, it, in terms of lay people who aren't meditating, you you start with sila samadhi panya. So it's morality is first, then samadhi concentration, then wisdom. That's one form that's presented, uh, and so sila is morality, samadhi is concentration, panya is wisdom. <clears throat> but in terms of the eight, uh, Four Noble Truths, the Fourth Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, it starts with wisdom. Wisdom, sila, Samadhi. So that's quite interesting. Because you, with wisdom, with samaditi, everything falls into place. It's simultaneous arising. The whole path is really uh, here and now. It's not, you know, starting with one thing and going on to another. It's three folds in the same moment. So through samaditi, you know, we we have insight into uh, how to live in this, in the remaining 
our part of our lives within the human form in a in a society that's very dualistic and deluded how to live in you know it's through wisdom through samaditi samasangapo which is of course to affect the the kind of moral the sila of right action right speech right action right livelihood which then is right effort right mindfulness right concentration but it's like simultaneous arising eight folds rather than eight steps so you know in defining the fourth noble truth it's the way to live not creating suffering the way to live one's life with these unsatisfactory conditions of the human body and the conditioning of the mind the emotions and so forth we still you know after insight you know into the path we still have to live with with bodies that are or have lustful energies and greed hatred delusion are still part of the the vipaka kama or the power of our past the way we're programmed and conditioned from birth but we have this insight the path of awareness here and now and and this path is is then known not through the intellect you don't it's not an intellectual understanding of the eightfold path it's an insightful one like on the heart level on intuitive level it's not not just a, a abstract ideal path anymore it's always about here and now someone's asking is it possible to attain complete liberation from suffering as a lay person in this lifetime i don't really know because i'm a monk <laughs> i'm in england one of the nuns asked me can women get it enlightened and i said you have to tell me if i'm not a woman <laughs> But, but you know the teaching is is not about monks or lay people or men or male or female it's dhamma it's what we all are you know enlightenment isn't you know it's not relegated to a special group it's a potential available to all of us every human being except you know when you you think of your you know you've got a in what the way i've been encouraging you is to trust your awareness i haven't asked you all to become monks and nuns but <laughs> i encourage you to trust the awareness 
Because you can ordain as a monk or a nun and still be un totally unaware of you. <laughs> it's how you use your life, you know, it's up to you. It's the, the way you are, you know, the, the kind of character you have, uh, the kind of karma you've made with your life. It's up, you know, the, we ha have this ability to use the way we are to realize Dhamma. You can't, you know, I can't act like Ajahn Chah or Lumpu Man. You know, I can't. You know, when I became, you know, after eight pansas at Wat Bapong, I went to become the head monk of Wat Banana Chat. And I, you know, and I, I'd never been in such a position, you know, you know, I wasn't even, you know, an Ajahn yet. Just eight pansas. And you're not called Ajahn until you have ten pansas. The last thing I wanted to do was to be head of a monastery of Western monks. Because <laughs> you've got to teach them everything, you know, Thai language and Thai customs and you know, everything, and they come from different countries. And I'm, you know, I was very much into uh, silent meditation. Always trying to go off by myself to some remote place. I really enjoyed sitting practice, developing samadhi and things like that. So, but because I had made an aditana, a determination, that I would, I began to feel such gratitude to Ajahn Chah, this Katanyu Gadawaiti towards Lumpur Chah, that I thought, I'll do whatever he asks me to do, even if I don't want to do it. And if he asks me to go and start a monastery, you know, I'll do it because of this determination I made. So the first few months were, you know, you, you were, we, we had about ten monks of different nationalities. And, uh, and you know, my role model was Ajahn Chah. And, and I spent a pansa with Lung Pao Jan, who was Ajahn Chah's, one of his senior disciples. So they were my role models for, Jawawat for abbot, head monk kind of role models. So I, you know, and I, so I was trying to act like Ajahn Chah. And the monks would have none of it. You know, and that's all I knew how to do because I didn't have any experience, you know, in my own right as being a head of a monastery or a leader or even a teacher. So then you, you, you know, your, you, your memory goes to, well, Lumpur Chaudhya did like this, said things like this, so you must be the same, try to do it exactly like Lumpur Well, it wasn't working, and I was totally miserable. And so, one afternoon, I walked up, you know, it's about, 
four or five kilometers from Nanachat to Watpapong, I went by myself to see Ajahn Chah, and he was sitting under his kuti, you know, and he, he saw that I was in quite a miserable state. So he started laughing at me. <laughs> and he said, you, you, you thought, didn't you, Sumedho, that when you're Jawawat, when you're abbot of monastery, you get a triangular pillow to lean on and give orders. <laughs> and uh, because that's one of the forms, you know, in, in those days of, of uh, Jawawat, the head monk, having these triangular pillows, and the rest of us didn't have any. There was a status symbol at that time. And I had a triangular pillow in Nanachat. But then, you know, because I began to ask myself, what is it that about Lumpur Cha that I find so compelling? Why did, what is it I really love or like about Ajahn Chah? Is it because he's so strict with the Vinaya? Is it because, you know, it, you know, he's got all these kind of external uh, conditions, you know, a very strict monastery and everything was done in a certain way and you had to follow, you know, in, and imitate every movement, every situation. Then I began to realize that I knew monks that were like that, that I didn't particularly want to be live, with, live, live, live with. And so I figured out it's because Ajahn Chah is being himself. He's not trying to emulate Numpuman or anybody else. He's natural. He's a great sense of humor. He's very charismatic, has a personality, but he's himself. He's not, he's not using charm for any selfish reason. He's charming because that's the way he is. And so I had this insight that I had to trust myself, be the way I couldn't be another Ajahn Chah or another Ajahn Jan. You can't be, you know, you're, you're phony, you're not real when you're trying to act like somebody else. So that's why I encourage you, you know, that we learn from the way we are. You, no matter what you think of yourself, you know, if you think of yourself uh, as not being good enough, or you think yourself as being good enough, or you think you, you know, you you don't have like with Thai people, they often say they don't have the barami, the accumulated virtues, and so. But that's not about the path, about how many virtues you've accumulated. It's being is so direct to be. The, the very thought that I don't have enough barami to be a, to practice, or I'm only a lay person, or I'm a woman, I can't really ordain as a monk, and all these excuses are coming from this dualistic thinking process. 
it's this identity with all the limitations of the sankharas that you 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 identify as yourself. They're all limited, you know, so you think you know, so you can't really trust and believe in the sankharas as yourself. So if you believe you can't become enlightened as a lay person, that's belief, isn't it? That's what it really is. At this moment, any of you who think you can't, you know, as a lay man or lay woman, that's a creation with words. And be aware of that, you know, it's not that it's wrong to think that, but that's a creation you make out of this dualistic thinking process, your identity with sankharas. So the direct approach is awareness of thoughts. It's not judging them as right or wrong, good or bad, but they are what they are. So if I am a layman thinking, I, I can't really become enlightened, I have to wait for the next lifetime, that's that's thinking. So trust your awareness. The thinking is, you know, whatever it is, is sankara. It's impermanent and not self. So it's as direct as that. Learning to to not no longer grasp the illusions of a separate self. But it's not that you're not going to have any more illusions, but you're. Your awareness is not an illusion. Your awareness is the knowing. And this, this reference to sankara on which all conditions are impermanent is a, is not a doctrinal, uh, in doctrine or something you project onto reality. It's just the way you have insight. What is permanent? What is impermanent in terms of experience here and now? So if you have, you have to be ordained as a monk to become enlightened, that's another creation. The monastic order was, you know, it's, it's a tradition. And the whole point of monastic discipline is, is mindfulness. So it's, you know, and it's, it's not a dualistic tradition. It's non-dual. But we can't make it into a dualistic tradition. Because traditions themselves are some form of dualism. But it's not to bind yourself to a tradition or to Vinaya rules to create a separate sense of a self. But to use the tradition, the teachings of the Buddha, the Vinaya discipline for awareness. So that's the challenge. And lay people using, you know, here in Thailand, for example, you're living in a society that's 95% Buddhist, so it's quite, you know, you're surrounded by temples and monasteries, monks, 
Métis, nuns, and so forth. So this is, you know, you've got the constant reminders just visually, you know, but then because it, Buddhism is a traditional, just a tradition so integrated into the culture, sometimes we we don't un- quite understand it. We just see it as a part of Thai culture rather than as a tool for liberation. And that's what the Buddha intended it to be, as something to use. And you, and then you have to, you know, you have, when you judge yourself as a person, you tend to see all kinds of flaws, you know, like you're afraid of ghosts, or you're, you're, you're shy, or you're, you're conceited, or you're, uh, you know, you think you're better than others, or you think you're not as good. Uh, you feel you have certain weaknesses and uh, faults. You get angry too easily, too much lust. You get confused and full of doubt. You don't know who you are. These are all conditions you can use for awareness. None of them are obstacles if you trust in your awareness. The last question today. If there was one phrase or sentence we could take away from this retreat to use as a reminder in daily life, what would you recommend we use? Trust your awareness. <laughs> and I mean, it's, you know, this is, you know, the whole emphasis on this retreat is a, is kind of a, encouraging this because your dualistic thinking process is going to, is a critical function. That's what it does. It, you can't trust you know, yourself, if you see yourself always in dualistic terms. There's so many things, you know, in our personality, our emotional habits, and that go all over the place, you can't trust. And you, if you see yourself and believe yourself to be the five conducts, and, and so like the Vipassana teachings are about trusting awareness to be aware of impermanence not to you know not, not trying to get rid of impermanence or see uh, you know judge it with the thinking mind it's just the nature of phenomena all conditions are impermanent and by trusting your awareness of that just like i was saying before about can lay people become enlightened? Trust your awareness of the belief that you think you're a lay person is a belief. That's a position you, 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 th- you create that thought, I'm only, I'm only a lay woman or a lay man. That's a, and being aware of that is thinking. It's impermanent. The thinking is impermanent. So you begin to dissolve these identities 
that always bind you to limited, limited forms, unsatisfactory conditions. <laughs> 